Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 341. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, and I'm so excited to share today's conversation with you. I'm sitting down with Femily, aka Emily Howe, who is also known as Silicon Valley's gender equity advisor. She is a total boss and has so much to share with us today about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, but also specifically how we can all be better active allies for our LGBTQIA colleagues, friends, and community members. So if you've spent a good chunk of time thinking about your feminism, thinking about white supremacy and being a more active ally when it comes to racial justice, today's episode is a great way to to carry that torch forward uh, in, in this Pride Month especially in thinking through how we can be more than just optical allies to our colleagues uh, in the queer community. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, Femily first. As a gender cultural studies MA with a big firm management consulting background, Femily speaks at and advises Silicon Valley and other male majority sectors and teams like law, finance, and engineering on gender, equity, and building an ally culture. From Silicon Valley's Watermark Conference for Women to San Francisco's Commonwealth Club, Femily frequently speaks to companies' conferences and women's events. She's an expert media source for outlets like C-SPAN, KQED, Fast Company Bustle, The Telegraph, and Thrive Global by Ariana Huffington. And Femily's popular digital courses give ambitious women and non-binary people concrete, evidence-based instruction on leading in today's male-majority world, rebelling against disempowering should outsmarting all isms, and making big life business changes that really stick. In 2018, Femily founded the American Association of Corporate Gender Strategists to address the growing demand for rigor and best practices across the field. In that same year, she launched San Francisco's Executive Women's Forum. She's a force to be reckoned with. Femily, welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm so glad to be here. I'm delighted to have you here. So first of all, tell the Boss Dub community how you got into this work and sort of what your mission and what your your work focuses you on these days. Yeah, totally. So if you were to Google, Google me, you'd see that I am Silicon Valley's gender inclusion advisor, which basically mm. means that I'm a management consultant as and by trade and training and that I help tech companies primarily and other male majority organizations. I help them not be so cringy for women and other marginalized communities to work there. Mm. And I, have- I like that <laughs> description. Cringy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I also help them with uh, full on sexism and racism, but it's really the cringy stuff that uh, we end up talking about more so than out, yeah. outright, um, 
Yeah. Outright the, you know, I, I don't, I cannot help with the person in the room who is a committed sexist and racist, who's planning on making everyone's life miserable. Those people are few and far between. I help with the well-meaning colleagues and managers who think that they're allies, but they just don't uh, know exactly what they're doing wrong and exactly what to do to help. Totally. And I think that should be a cue to all of us listening right now. That could be us. Yeah, it is (laughs) all of us. More often, yeah, more often than isn't is us. And, uh, you know, unless we actively take time to reflect and learn and try to be better, it's definitely us. So, And it's even if we try so hard to be better, yeah. and we've read all the books, like many right. of us have this year specifically on race, or even if I'm in the LBGTQAI community, and even if today I know about all the letters and all the yeah. things that harm them and help them, <laughs> tomorrow there could be another letter, or there could be more of a nuance to one of the other letters. Like It's just this whole growing, evolving thing. Yeah. You know whose book does a good job of making that case is Francesca Ramsey's um, well, that escalated quickly. Yes, you are very right. I love that. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, a lifelong journey of like stumbling your way to being better. Um, <laughs> totally. So totally. I think that's, that's a really great tone to set at the start. Um, let's talk a little bit about defining our terms here. Cause I know we, we think about diversity and inclusion a lot in this world, in this space. Yeah. Um, Beyond diversity and inclusion, we we also hear more often these days, but not enough of, about creating cultures of belonging. Right. What does that really mean yeah. to you, and how is that beyond DNI? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great question, and certainly one that a lot of folks are wondering about. So, belonging, you can you know belonging, right? You're, you and your listeners know belonging when you're. Uh, sitting in a friendship circle that where people really see you and they're really rooting for you as a friend and a human and they can handle your the full range of your emotions in that sort of friendship circle or maybe it's just one friendship or one sibling mm. or whatever but you know that feeling of being able to be fully present and not just your on face but the full yeah. you and so that's what companies are trying to go for as their vision when they're talking about belonging i am not helping companies with belonging yet because we are still, and I work in Silicon Valley in San Francisco in tech where everyone's supposed to know better. And I am still helping people with, oh, you have no women in management or above entry level. I'm still at the numerical diversity of like how many people that are different from the white cis male bros at the top. How many people do you have even bodies in the seats, let alone, are they happy or miserable, let alone do they bring your whole self to work? That's such an interesting way of looking at it is like kind of going up this ladder of engagement when it comes to DEI mm-hmm. and belonging. So first you're working on diversity, presence, in, like having people who don't all look the same and, and breaking down homogeneous populations, which yes. there are so many of male-dominated <laughs> and, and white, you know, white-dominated yes. spaces. Right. Yep. And the thing is with that, I will say before I – create a beautiful master plan to bring more top talent women slash top talent POCs into 
a tech company, for example, I get the company ready so that when those amazing mm. people arrive on site, they are not uh, experiencing extreme toxicity. So there's some like uh, anti-racist training that I bring in my peers of color to do. And I'm a white person. You can't see me on the podcast. And there is some anti-sexism, like don't be a dog to the women in your tech workplace training that I do to mm-hmm. the well-meaning men who are working in tech right now before they have folks come on site. And the most, the other most important thing about the diversity thing, a lot of people are like, we're going to hire one black techie and then we're going <laughs> to hire uh, maybe one woman. Right. Or yeah. I mean, that, that is like a white, that would be a white woman and like a black male techie. And then those folks are not set up for success. There's so much research, which you, uh, I, th- you've probably, um, had people on your podcast talking about the McKinsey and lean in reports on women in the workplace. Uh, and I, um, I work on, on those reports on getting the word out about those reports and supporting those That's reports. Great. And they, always talking those about how onlys people who are first only indifferent have a much harder time. They're set up for far less success in the workplace. It's the toxicity that, or the stress that everyone experiences in a high octane workplace is magnified when the person's also representing their race and, or their gender and, or their orientation. So it's not a safe setup. So I always suggest at the diversity stage to bring people in, in cohorts, do a mass hiring of people who are any kind of different from those on the top. Yeah, that's a really, really great strategy. And I love the order of operations here. It seems to be very key. <laughs> Let's is. not wait till till folks who are not, you know, who are not looking and, and, and experiencing the world the same way as the C-suite right. are here to start laying the groundwork and foundation for active allyship. That's great. By the way, I'll link to the latest um, Lean In McKinsey and Company study because oh, it is so robust yes. in today's show notes. And uh, I'm always looking at the broken rung of leadership. That's really what they have made clear is one of the biggest challenges. Where where do you see investments in DEI and belonging paying off and moving the needle? And where do you see them just scratching the superficial level? Like what's a waste of money and time? And what do you want to see more workplaces actively pursuing? Oh, a thousand percent. So people always want me to come in and help them fix the broken glass ceiling. They want me to help them get more women in leadership. And you don't need to pay me. You just need to pay an executive recruiter. And then you need to get any sexist people out of the way who are saying we don't want to hire women at the top. Yeah. So it's a waste of money to bring in someone like me. Like you don't need to diagnose anything. You just need to start hiring women or promoting women into the glass ceiling. And that's what you were referring to earlier is the actual bigger problem slash biggest opportunity is the broken rung, meaning the first step up to leader from entry level is actually where more, far fewer people of any gender or race orientation ever even reach the C-suite at all enough to even have the problem of hitting the glass ceiling, right? So numerically, it's less of a problem in terms of how many humans get there. And most people have an entry-level job that they are hoping will turn into, you know, supervisor, manager, et cetera. And so Mm -hmm. while 70, for every 70 women that are promoted to from entry level to the first step up to supervisor or manager, a hundred men are. 
And this Mm -hmm. is chilling because this is at a point in a career where you have barely any experience. You may have had a year or two in your entry level job, but um, it's not like you have decades behind you where you're clearly the better candidate. Yeah. It's like right from the get go. That, that is the problem we are focused on here at boss dot lately. Um, and all of our programming for leaders is really focused on the first time manager or the aspiring first time manager. Cause there is such a, a gap that it, it, manifest immediately (laughs) after college or after entering the workforce. And so much work needs to be done right from the get-go before we even get loftier. And and like you're saying, it's the numbers actually aren't that crazy bad. There's already been some huge gains made in the C-suite. So it's really focusing on what we can do uh, in a broken system. So it's so interesting because I kind of struggle with, and I want to come back to the cosmetic question Mm -hmm. of like, what's superficial, Mm -hmm. but you know, how much can we take the power back from a broken system and advocate for ourselves versus how much should we be pursuing system change either through government or corporate? That, that question keeps me up at night. Oh, Um, same. (laughs) Right. And so like, what are you seeing the smart companies do mm-hmm. who are not just diagnosing the problem, but who are actually creating systematic adjustments and, and system change that actually works? Yeah. The companies that are wasting everyone's time and money are saying, hey, ladies, you should get a mentor. Bye. And then they're not helping and they're just suggesting <laughs> yeah. a mentor. Or they're saying, you should have a, um, you should get more confidence. So you ladies go to this thing. I'm using ladies on purpose because it's very patronizing. Yeah. yeah um, it is. and the companies that are doing it right are putting systems in place. This will not surprise you systems in place within their company to ensure that, uh, women, for example, are getting supported as even if they have a bad manager. So for example, in terms of, mm. um, parental leave stuff, making sure that the company has rock solid plans of what happens the three months before you go out. What's your wind down plan? What's your wind back up plan? What are your career goal uh, plans that um, you want to discuss as soon as you get back? So those systems should be in place for every person who goes out on a, Mm. a parental leave, not just those who have a great manager who's read a lot of books about how to manage someone who's going out on, who's going out on mat leave. And so similarly with the mentoring example, the best companies make sure that every rising woman, especially women of, especially black and brown women receive mentors that really mean it. So some companies do a matching thing where they say, um, mm. name who all of your mentors are. They ask the junior woman, name all your mentors. And then they make sure that those senior people know that they're the mentors. <laughs> know it's, that they're on the list. <laughs> I love that. Very off. That's so funny. Oh my God. Yes. yes. <laughs> so anything that universally makes sure that people have access to, uh, not just mentorship, but sponsorship, right? Women we know are over mentored, like lots of advice is given to women about yeah. emotions and work and dress and beauty in the workplace and all this garbage that's not related to promotion. And then men right. are given more sponsoring, like talking great, uh, talking them up when they're not in the room and giving them juicy stretch opportunities that they're not ready for, but they think they can leap into. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. That's so interesting. I love your point about not having to uh, 
have a great manager. I yeah. think it's Nira Tandon at the Center for American Progress who always says this. Mm-hmm. She worked um, in the State Department or maybe the White House under mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. And she always says, like, you shouldn't have to win the boss lottery no. like I did right. in order to be given career acceleration while navigating the world as a woman of color. Yes. Um and that 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 speaks to the systematic nature of those kinds of policies. Absolutely. And I I'm a very vocal advocate on the federal level for those policies. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think enough businesses are going to get there on their own. No way. Um but I I'm encouraged by what we're seeing in tech because they're systematic thinkers anyway. Isn't tech all about system thinking and iteration <laughs> and good design? Like we can design our workplaces better. Yes. Um, there is not an just, appetite for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. So let's pivot a little bit into focusing on what it looks like to apply this lens, not just along uh, gender lines and racial lines, but really when it comes to inclusion around orientation. Uh, I know you do a lot of work uh, with LGBTQ and and especially trans and non-binary folks in the workplace. Where should we even think about getting started when it comes to what workplaces who are willing and interested and want to be good allies uh, but don't really know where to start? Love this question. So first – Starting with the awareness that it's not all roses and rainbows right now for the queer working community, queer and trans working Mm. community. The truth is a lot of workplaces have uh, a happy gay white male working maybe in HR because that's often Mm -hmm. a bubble of safety and sweetness. And so therefore we're like, oh, well, if Ronald can be out, like maybe this, this, this must be a queer friendly workplace, but then out in Mm. the world of the work that's not in HR, people are much more scared to reveal themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the truth is it's not that safe for many people feel it's not that safe. Half of all queer and half of all queer people are not out in the workplace and it's because they fear losing their jobs in 22 states you can still lose your job because you're queer so that's a founded fear and in the rest of the states people queer people are losing their jobs because uh not it's not overtly saying you're gay you're fired but it's once they realize it uh, once the boss finds it out they shoot shoo them out the door so the first thing is awareness that it's not that it's not that great for uh, queer employees, and also most, more than half, I think it's sixty or seventy percent of queer trans by and uh, employees hear jokes about LGBTQAI people on mm. the regular in their workplace, and so the worst problem that ever happened, but it's definitely demoralizing and it makes you not be able to focus on your job and it makes you think you don't belong there. And then it makes you know that the promotions are not for you, et cetera. So it's demoralizing to your career for sure. Well, it's interesting. It's almost like a form of cultural gaslighting Mm -hmm. when in, you know, we're in pride month here. We're celebrating LGBTQAI communities everywhere. Right. And, you know, there's commercials and there's rainbow flags and there's pride parades and it can make it 
feel it can make you feel a little schizophrenic because yes. in this one part of our culture right it's cool and it's great and it's even edgy and Miley Cyrus is hosting you know right. pop concerts about it yep and then you go into the workplace on Monday morning and I don't know if Bob and accounting is super down with your <laughs> trans you know right. lifestyle yeah. so it's just <laughs> it's yeah. this it's dichot this dichotomy of culture that we have in this country especially is just can give anyone whiplash and it can make you feel paranoid and on your toes. Yes. For good reason. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a good point. I love the cultural gaslighting point. The other it's just yeah. so challenging. I- I'm curious Ugh. what that looks like from your perspective. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, the whole coming out thing is a negotiation every moment. It's not like I was 13. I came out. Now I'm good. It's every moment I'm seeing if Bob and accounting can hang. And then it's like, oh shoot, (laughs) I already told Cheryl who's now next to Bob and accounting. Like now I feel scared that Mm -hmm. Cheryl's going to say it because I was very open with Cheryl and now Cheryl's going to maybe think it's fine, but I don't want to really tell Bob. And so it's this moment and you're supposed to be thinking about your spreadsheets and your career trajectory, not (laughs) about this, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. The cool thing is that now, just like as we saw, as soon as uh, millennial dads were like, we want a more of a work, work life balance or work family situation. Companies were like, oh, you do? Maybe we should give that to people. <laughs> like, yeah. sorry about the mom's been asking for your ever. But similarly, <laughs> straight millennials and cis millennials have been saying, we don't actually want to work in a homophobic environment. We want to work in a queer friendly workplace. We think mm-hmm. it's fun and great for all of us to be able to be out about all the things that make us us. Mm. And so that's another business imperative for the, Mm -hmm. for the ally folks. And then there are so many more people who don't want to work in a homophobic or a non queer friendly environment, parents of trans kids or of of queer youth, right? Adult children of lesbian and gay parents. I mean, there's so many people who are in the queer community or who fall from time to time or always the rainbow Right. In general. And so the workplace necessarily needs to become more inclusive. And the final point, which is a California point, is that about <laughs> a quarter of youth don't identify with the male-female binary. They're more in the gender non-conforming or non-binary world. And so those people are going to have jobs pretty soon, right? Mm. So businesses need to get ready for the kinds of forms that say, Hey, want to come work here that say more than just M or F. Yeah. And just like pronoun normalization and finding ways to be inclusive there. Yeah. So how can these, especially I'm interested in how the cis and straight folks, um, the everyday allyship question is like, how can we be yeah. kind and cool and yeah. and just, you know, how can Bob from accounting rise to the occasion yeah. when it comes to <laughs> not being awful towards yeah. non-binary, trans, and gay folks at work? Okay, here's what Bob from accounting should really do. I have, I have a lot of Bob from accounting. We're going to presume Bob from accounting really means to do better. He just, like, doesn't know any LBGTQAI people in his life, but he yes. wants to be down. So. Bob from accounting should immediately diversify what he's reading, the news he's watching, the podcast that he has on his pod when he goes running. Uh, And so he should be absorbing lots of cultural stuff from the LBGTQAI community outside of work. Mm. And so that will help him 
have his finger on the pulse more of what are the heartbreaks that are going on right now in the queer and trans community, right? What are the hopes and desires? What are, what's the kinds of language that he's not hearing? He's not hearing the queer community refer to our, to ourselves as the homosexual community, right? Like he's going right. to absorb that in the same way that people learn a language, which is a little bit more behind the scenes and not as consciously in your brain. So that's the right. first. Second is putting your pronouns in your Zoom uh, name or your email or your uh, introductions when you're introducing, you know, even a third of the time to, Mm. it's it's a signal, right? It's a signal that says, I know there's something called pronouns. I've thought about my own and they're these, and I welcome other people telling me about their pronouns. And that's a huge, it's like the biggest thing you can do besides put on a rainbow flag that says I'm an ally is putting your Mm. pronouns on there. It means That's so smart. much more than pronouns. It means you're open to the whole rainbow and to the whole discussion and to people and their humanity. I used to think um, it's so interesting because I we were kind of late in the game to come to that here at Basta. Sure. And for a while, it struck me like the Latinx thing, which I'm not a huge fan mm. of because mm-hmm. like messing with language. And there's so much nuance that does not apply to that, to this. They're not the same. But... um. You know, I thought it was almost like straight cis people co-opting something that was for the LGBT and the T community in particular, but it, it's the act of normalizing it, It if I understand correctly, that makes it more radical, right? Yeah, it is. Because for example, someone who is straight and cis will know more straight and cis people. So that person can act as a bridge to more bobs from accounting. Whereas if I'm uh, myself as a radical queer bisexual person who mostly knows radical queer bisexual people and I run a program Mm. for feminists and queer trans people, like I don't know that many bobs in accounting who (laughs) trust me because I'm so out there. So I rely on my folks who are a little bit more immersed who see Bob at accounting outside of work or they see Bob right. accounting in their families, right? To convey that it's normal and great and welcoming to use pronouns. But yeah, the co-opting thing is incredibly important and hard to get right. And one person from my mm. queer and trans community might say, oh, you're co-opting. And someone else might be like, I love that you're using that rainbow. <laughs> you <know>? Right, <laughs> yeah. So there's no like one way to be an ally is that is going to give you blanket approval from every gay, queer, and trans person in the world. That's an important point, I think, to hit. You're not immune to critique. True. And also, there are some things that I look for when I am in a new space and seeing if I'm in an ally space or if I'm in Mm. a space where I'm going to be working really hard as a member of a marginalized community. So for example, I was recently this week at just a neighborhood cookout kind of situation. Mm -hmm. It was pretty small. I was the only person uh, who was queer and who knew anything about trans stuff. And all of the rest of the people started asking so many questions about, they started by saying, very well-meaning, but not very, uh, enlightened things about, Mm. uh, trans kids. And, um, they were trying to figure stuff out. And so for them, it was the most interesting dialogue of the week. For me, it was the most draining. I should have gotten paid for this, (laughs) but I'm being a good ally slash community member 
experience. And so that's just what it's like to be an outsider in the room. It would have really helped me if I wasn't the Mm. only, this is back to the whole thing about not being the only where someone else could have handled that. And it would have been great if all of those bobs from accounting had listened to a podcast or two to get the very basics that they were asking me about in the middle of the cookout. Isn't it disorienting? You'd be like, oh, oh, we have to go back to the like (laughs) 0.0 level. Not the 1.0 lesson. Okay. Yeah. And now I'm on. Now I'm the go-to expert in right. the room. Right, right. This is a free-for-all Q&A yeah. happy hour. Yeah, yeah, that's frustrating yeah. for sure. Yeah. That's a good note for for our Bobs in accounting. Yes. And by the way, we should say our, our Brenda's in accounting too, right? Because like we we are these people. We're not just uh, personifying and exporting this. No, I mean, I'm a Bob much. in accounting when it comes to getting disability right. Like that is not an yeah. area where I know everything thing at all. And I'm very much a beginning learner. So I am a total Bob in accounting. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Awesome. Anything else that comes to mind for how everyday folks can be cool and kind towards trans and queer colleagues? I think the most important thing is standing up for us when we're not in the room. So standing up for any of those millions of letters when we're not in the room. Uh, even if you don't know the PhD level answer, but you hear something cringy or something that's like maybe not a hundred percent true or enlightened, yeah, you can say, are we sure that's true? Or you can say, um, if the person says something and they know it's like not that nice, like a, like one of those jokes that are against the queer and trans community that people yeah. hear in the workplace, 50% of people hear them. Mm-hmm. You can say, Larry, just the name of the person. Like people know they're not supposed to say those names. They're not supposed to make a joke about queer people, right? Yeah. And so just saying their name is a kind way to call them in and it takes the onus off of you, the dear listener, from having to have a PhD ready analysis of why that's bad or what the history of that word is or anything. You can just say Larry, which means I'm not here for that. And you're really yeah. changing the culture. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. I, and it applies to so many different so underrepresented many. communities. Yes. I know when I moved from D.C. to Denver, mm-hmm. I found myself being surrounded by all white friends mm-hmm. for the first time in a while. Right. And the the nonsense that you just hear mm-hmm. that's just like everyday totally. nonsense made me kick myself. The first couple times I wasn't ready for right. it. I just let things pass me by and I, I I kicked myself for literally weeks. I was like, why didn't I say anything? Like yeah. it would have been so easy to say something. Right. Um it's hard <laughs> in the I, moment. It's really it, hard. It's hard to yeah. realize what's happening quickly enough to then say something. <laughs> right. So I've given myself this open ended question to go back with. Um I like the name thing too. I could have been like Justin. Yeah. <laughs> but instead I I've started reverting to, well, what do you mean? I don't get it. You know, like, what do you mean by that? And then there's a long period of silence that follows. Yes. And everybody goes, oh, God, what is he going to say now? And you're not even saying, like, that was so bad. No. You're saying, did you just hear yourself? And kind of playing – Naive. Naive. And I love that. And I also love that if you think about what's happening in the conversation as a hot potato, that person threw a hot potato into your lap that you then had to deal with and be like, why didn't I say something? Like the hot potato was new, but by asking the question, you give them back the hot potato. Like you don't need that person's hot potato of racism. (laughs) 
Yeah, you're just like, explain yourself, yeah. please. Yeah. Uh, explain how that you thought that was okay. Right. And it's not, obviously, it's not like the perfect answer. It's not the PhD answer, but it is better, a million times better and than yes. saying nothing, right? And I don't think you need the PhD answer. I think a PhD yeah. answer of facts and figures just ends you up in a weird debate. And that's not actually what my goal here is to change the culture. And the culture changes by everyday people who are allies standing up. Those of us who are in marginalized communities are not in the room. It, it isn't when we prove them wrong. It's when we just say that I'm not here for that. Yeah. Um, I am 1000% here for that because nobody wants to be intellectually belittled. Nope. Right. Then we just get entrenched mm-hmm. into our respective camps and don't listen to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so dominating the conversation isn't the goal, right? No. It's sort of saying, let's raise awareness. Let's be mindful. Let's be thoughtful and yeah. let's discuss. Yeah. And it's putting a bookmark in there to say that place mm. right there where you just went, I'm not, uh, that's not my place. That's not where I, that's not the company I want to work in. That's not the team I want to be on. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I'm hearing a couple key takeaways. I'm hearing you know, putting that bookmark in the conversation mm-hmm. is a really great place to start. I'm also hearing you say that every every kind of person can talk to management and say, hey, yes. we can be better, yes. right? Every kind of person can say, hey, this isn't the kind of place I want to work. Yep. Um, and, and yeah. And also the other thing that I would really love if my colleagues did was not assuming that everyone in the room has one opposite sex partner and that they were born mm. gender that they seem to be presenting today. If we just mm. stopped assuming all of those things, then it would bring so much freedom. Cause a lot of the cringy stuff that happens in the workplace is when people ask someone queer about how's their, don't they have an opposite sex spouse they can bring? I mean, it still yeah. happens so much today. Or when you assume, uh, when you go, when you say, Hey, let's all bring our baby pictures in right. as though that's totally, uh, neutral for everyone and just a cute thing. And some people don't want to show, you know, they're not here to discuss their entire gender journey and that can be right. just a big thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> There's just a lot. You just totally called me in because we <laughs> definitely have a baby photo element to one of our programs. Wow. That never occurred to me. Holy shit. That is a good moment of, uh, of awareness. You building. can still have the sweetness because there's something sweet about getting to know your colleagues at a different level for sure. So you can just change it a little bit and you can say, bring in a picture of either you when you were a baby or a thing that you really loved when you were little. Cause also some people come from families yeah. where they just like, didn't have the money to have any photos or they lost it all in a fire. Like there's just a lot of situations where yeah. you, it'd be, if you want to Google a Simon says and show that as your thing and talk about it, like we still are getting to know you and your yeah. youth. We just aren't like focusing on your gender. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such, such a good piece of advice. <laughs> I mean, it just goes to show you that this is a trajectory of growth and learning totally. and that we are never done figuring this shit out. Totally. We will never be out of business, will we? No so, way. <laughs> it's like there is so a good. lifetime's worth of work to do. Oh gosh. So much. So <laughs> I'm thinking also about they, them pronouns and how that has been, even for those mm-hmm. of us who have kept up so much so on all the things, whether it's feminism or women's empowerment or even queer stuff, like the, 
using they them pronouns has been a new th- has been has seemed to be a new thing for many people. Yeah. The Definitely. good news about that is, uh, and so lots of your listeners who are uh, who don't use they them pronouns can help convince other people that it's totally normal and right, and that it respects someone's humanity, and that it is a big deal to get it right and to not misgender mm. them. So the good news is, if any of your people have ever played Guess Who, we are all gender neutralizing. Oh, which yeah. might be like, do they have a hat? Do they have any glasses? Do they have gray hair? <laughs> yeah. So we know that and we're asking about a single person and we are using they, them. And it's also same with Amazon delivery. If you're like, did the delivery person come yet? And then your house spouse person might say, I don't know. I think, I think I heard them on the porch. And so Mm -hmm. you were used to this. This is not a new way of speaking. Um, We should respect all new ways of speaking, I think. But luckily here, this is the easiest possible transition we could ever make. We already know how to use these words. I love that point. That's so well taken. Very exciting. And I feel like the the grammar police are catching up anyway. Linguists are always saying that it's not about what's in the dictionary. It's about how people use language and the dictionary is supposed to keep up. Ooh, yes. (laughs) I think Amanda Montel makes that point very clear in her, uh, what is the name of her book? Because now she has a new one out called Cultish. But Mm. I think I had her on the podcast. Yes, I had her on the podcast a couple of maybe a year or two ago about her book all about the politics of language and and increasingly the gender politics of language. And it's definitely worth checking out. I'll drop the links in the the show notes. My brain, my pregnancy brain is like failing me right now, (laughs) which is fine. Oh my gosh. Mazels. Yes. I read that. Good. Thank you. Well, Femily, where can my listeners keep up with you and your fantastic work? All my stuff is at femilyonthego.com which I love. It's a fun, fun, Thank you. funky looking website. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you about my corporate consulting. If you need me to come in and uh, wake up your bros in charge. <laughs> and then it also <laughs> tells you about my program, Future Thought Leader, which is a program where I help feminists and queer and trans people become the thought leaders and grab their microphones that they deserve to have that all of their whites and males and cis peers have been grabbing for a long time. I love it. I will drop the (laughs) links in show notes. It looks like your next cohort uh, is launching very soon in July. Very true. Yes, it is. Very exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for your time and bringing your wisdom and experiences and your whole self to this podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, you're such a star. This is such a who's who of everyone I've ever wanted to meet or know about. So thank you so much for doing this podcast. For all of today's show notes and links to everything that Femily and I talked about, head to bossedup.org slash episode 341. That's bossedup.org slash episode 341. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. Today, I want to give a hearty shout out to Rebecca in Florida who wrote into our headquarters with a really lovely email update just the other week that was actually all about how the Bossed Up Life Tracker Planner helped her make some major boss moves in the last couple of months. After joining me during a negotiation workshop that I delivered last year, Rebecca started researching what it would take to practice law on her own just so that she could approach her supervisor with concrete numbers when asking for a raise. Now, what started as background research to support her negotiations sparked Rebecca's entrepreneurial interest. And the more she spoke with others who were in private practice, the more she realized she had the tools she needed to manage her own law practice. 
and she was motivated to make it a reality. So in February, Rebecca picked up one of our 2021 Life Checker planners and plotted out her vision. She broke down this massive, intimidating undertaking into concrete, manageable next steps and took things one month at a time. Despite facing a few big setbacks along the way, she made consistent incremental progress and met her big audacious goal of giving her notice to her boss by the end of June. She just did this last week. So as of this past week, Rebecca has officially launched her own private practice, ProVet Legal at ProVetLegal.com. She focuses on veterans disability law in Florida, and we are so proud of you, Rebecca, for the major boss moves you've pulled off, you've navigated, uh, and want to give you a big shout out, way to be a boss and way to break things down into manageable next steps. If you're interested in snagging a copy of our proprietary goal tracking planners that are designed specifically to help women mitigate guilt and break big audacious goals down into concrete, manageable, achievable next steps, head to bossedup.org slash shop right now and you'll find all of our 2021 planners are on a super clearance sale. We are, I think we just have one left of one of our most popular covers. So maybe by the time this podcast airs, it'll be gone. But time is running out to get your hands on our planner and make the most of it for the rest of 2021 before we start pre-selling our new designs for 2022. So stay tuned. And now I want to hear from you, boss. What did you think about my conversation with Femily today? We got pretty advanced uh, in terms of you know, what kinds of forms of active allyship you can begin making a reality in your neck of the woods. So tell me if you've got questions about how to implement this, how to make it happen, or fundamental questions about uh, LGBTQIA inclusion. Uh, if, if today's conversation went a little over your head, that's fine. There's no dumb questions here. I'd love to hear your best practices, your thoughts, your reactions, and your questions. Let's keep this conversation going in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. It's the best place to be where we're always discussing uh, my fantastic guests' comments after each episode. So I hope to see you there. In the meantime, have a wonderful rest of Pride Month. Let's be the best we can be towards one another. Let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb. 